listened to every single podcast on oneofus.net. What do I do now? Well, first of all, how is that even possible? But secondly, I think I have a solution for you, Chris. There can be no solution, there, Brian. There is a solution, and that solution is our newest sponsor, Audible.com. Guys, if you haven't tried Audible.com, now is the perfect time to do that. We're talking about content that includes over 150,000 audio programs. We're talking about books on digital audio dramas, uh, broadcasters, magazine and newspaper publishers, all the greatest stuff you can possibly imagine in one place just for you. Okay, that actually does sound pretty good. Doesn't that sound great? And you know what? I'm going to make it sound even greater, Chris, because they are officially, Audible is officially one of our sponsors here at oneofus.net, and as a special gift to you guys, Audible is giving away a free audiobook. All you have to do is click on the link at the bottom of this page, or you can go to audibletrial.com slash oneofus. You mean to say that by clicking on audible.com and downloading their free book, they make sure by listening to that audio that we keep making more audio as well? That's right, and the cycle continues. Oh, this shuffling down Hollywood's got me hotter than Georgia asphalt. Oh, well, I just bet you that it's uh, better than being at Woodstock. <laughs> well, that's true, but it is my inherent vice. <sighs> Look, you gotta have a light foot about these things. You can't just go... Running to mommy. Well, you know, I'm a gambler, so I like to take my chances. Well, that's pretty cool. You like chances with beer? There's no movie with beer in the title. Well, couldn't there be? I think there should be. You know what? I don't really care. Just right. beer. Yeah, beer. Beer. Hello, and welcome to Digital Noise. Ha, ha, ha. I, I guess. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> that was a thing. Noise. Digital. Digital. Digital Noise. We've got a ton of title, titles for you here this week. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. And we are going to go through all these titles, including a giveaway coming at the end of the show. But Ooh, first, what is it? What is it? Well, you got to wait till the end of the show. Oh, I can't wait that long. Well, you're going to have to. Okay. All right. Uh, first, before we get started, let me just say thank you once again to all you subscribers out there. You really make a difference. We've got a lot more subscriber stuff on the way, uh, in, in, including more commentaries, everything. We're just sort of restructuring right now to make sure that that's going to have a lot more cool stuff. If you're not a subscriber yet, now is the time. Join us already. There's two regular shows on there just for su- subscribers. The, brec- the Weekly Breakfast Pub with Brian and me talking about all the week news and entertainment. And the original gentleman with myself, Martin, and Bo, and various special guests talking about, well, pretty much everything. Uh, as well, what really helps us out is, you, well, you see on the page, you might see all these pictures of the titles we're talking about this week and uh, that are clickable. Well, those bring you to Amazon pages for those items. So if you wanted to buy them, you could. And in fact, if you buy those items through those Amazon links, we get a kickback from Amazon. A pretty nice little one, too. But that's not all. If you buy... Literally anything starting from Amazon, starting from those links, we get a kickback from whatever it is you buy. So, so even even like a back scratcher. Yeah. Wow. But, but, you know, preferably buy something more expensive. All right, like a front scratcher, or maybe it's a solid gold plated back scratcher that Ooh, a pr- Salamanca back that scratcher. Prince touched once or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Who else would own a solid gold back scratcher? Salamanca. That's his, his cast off. So I, I can I can only use them once. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta have back scratcher control. 
Uh, all right. So uh, before we go any further, I just want to give a little shout out to a longtime fan of the site uh, uh, who has become the highest level of subscriber, uh, a Jedi Knight. And one of the advantages of being a Jedi Knight subscriber is we will actually talk about and promote a little bit whatever item it is that you that whatever creative thing you're doing that you want us to promote. And this one I'm actually kind of proud to promote because it really is beautiful and highly acclaimed in his native land of Poland. This is uh, Maciek Kur, who uh, has been with us all the way through the old spill days. And this book he's written uh, is called Lil and Putt. It's a Polish comedy fantasy, fantasy comic book series. Uh, by and uh, you have to excuse me. I had to get them to phonetically print out the names of everyone here because I don't know how to do that in Polish. By uh, art by Piotr Bednarczyk. I I sure I still got that wrong. Uh, and published by Edgemont Poland. It follows the adventures of Lil and Putt, two members of a Hobbit-like race uh, called the Maludi. Maludi. Uh, which translates to not much people, the name mixture of Polish words for gigants and junksters. With loafers and parasites as their profession, I don't know what that means, the two vagabonds travel constantly, searching for a free meal and new people to scam. On the way, they discover various fantasy lands and usually learning the local form of public execution in the process. Uh, The first book, which is translated as How to Puree a Cat into the Drinking Glass... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's terrible. Shame on you. Uh, Lil and Putt meet an elven student of sorcery, and learning magic is already already hard for this guy to do, being dyslexic, but Lil and Putt accidentally interrupt, interrupt her during an important magic test, causing her to fail. As her makeup exam, she'll have to perform a series of spells, including one involving pouring a cat into a drinking glass. Says it's a bit like having a camel go through an eye of a needle, or she will fail the semester and therefore have to turn to stone. That is a. Uh, it's kind harsh. of a uh, yeah. Yeah, that's an all or nothing situation. Um, as a punishment for messing with her, uh, she forces Lil and Putt to join her on her quest to get a component for one of her spells, Tears of a Mosquito from the local sw- swamp. On the way, they come across many colorful adventures, like a clash with a group of insane dwarfs or a total Ku Klux Klan when it comes to their relation with elves. Putting a... Wow, that's pretty terrible villain. Jesus Christ. They're like burning giant crosses in elves' yards and... Well, yeah, get out of here, pointy ears. Yeah, well, okay. Well, they're from Poland. They're used to racial uh, prejudice, probably, in the past. Oh, yeah, they're they're used to people moving on in. They may have dealt with that before. Uh, Forcing Put to pretend that she, the the magic, the witch, is his biological daughter in order to save her from lynching. The books also contain two short stories, one involving Lil and Putt adventure in the town of football-loving centaurs. And it's kind of like Asterix the Gaul comics, like the mm-hmm. French classic right. series has been going on forever. Very slapstick, zany adventures, lots of puns for kids, but also adult references and satirical elements and dark humor for adults. The first one that, that he wrote won the annual Christo Award for the comic book series for kids, uh, and book two will likely be published autumn this year with more adventures of these three characters. So, uh, apparently there's not an English translation available yet. I've been getting on him about it because the art is really gorgeous. I keep looking, he keeps sending me pages. I'm like, this looks great. So I really want to read the damn thing, but I don't speak Polish. Well, you should read it. Yeah, I read Polish. I don't speak it, you know, like most (laughs) people. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. You went to primary school in, in America, uh, of so, course. That's like duh. by default. That's like the first thing. You, Polish is my first reading language, right? It was, it was, it was like that, language. and then second period, you go to water polo class, just like everybody else. <laughs> water Polish class. Oh, that's why they had them back to back. That's what it is. Uh-huh. Yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, with that, no, uh, 
No actual letters this week because we had a lot of titles to cover, so we're just going to go right into it with the reviews. Reviews. <laughs> uh, and I guess we're going to start off this week with something we don't usually do. We're going to start off with a, t- a television series that we got sent. This is a little bit late, and my apologies to uh, the BBC for this. Sorry. But it is The Missing. Oh, The Missing. Uh, which was uh, came out in 2014 uh, on and BBC One and the US and Stars in, uh, as well later that year, a little later that year. Uh, Eight-part series, just all in one type thing, starring James Nesbitt. Okay, first off, if you've Jekyll. never seen James Nesbitt in anything, yeah. Jekyll, holy shit. Oh, yeah. Like, you never forget that guy after you see the, the miniseries. No, Jekyll. definitely not. Also made by Stephen Moffat, who makes Sherlock and Doctor mm-hmm. Who. Mm-hmm. Uh, really great stuff. But he plays Tony Hughes, who, uh, along with his wife, oh, God, now I'm blanking on her name, uh, Francis O'Connor, uh, they're... They're on a road trip in France, and basically the car breaks down. They have to stop in this, you know, precious, adorable little town. And it's like a big game night. And uh, along the way, basically, their little kid, Oliver, disappears. Ole, Ole, where'd you go, Ole? He's just gone. Super gone. He's gone, boy, girl. No more for you, Oliver. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> That's the twist. Uh, oh. So the show is basically following as the, between two time periods, between the time when this actually happened and following that as that goes, and then years and years later, I think it's like some like seven years later? It's, it's, yes. Uh, where the father, who has never given up and has since separated with the mother, is back there and actually finds a real lead well, that no. starts, starts him thinking that maybe he can actually find this guy. I was this wondering kid. if this was inspired by uh, an actual case that happened involving uh, a British family, uh, but I think they were in Italy when their kid got abducted. I, I, I might be wrong on that one. I don't know. I mean, there's sadly, kids are abducted all the time. I wasn't aware this was specifically based on one, but I will say, if it reminds you of anything, it reminds me of Broadchurch on ITV mm-hmm. with David Tennant. It has that same sort of like very like methodical feel to it. Uh, it's almost procedural, but it's got so much char- depth of character and interesting people on it as it goes. Yeah. And I actually did. I, in fact, liked this better than Broadchurch, and I like Broadchurch a lot. So... Um, and that's partially because of how just how goddamn intense oh, James yeah. Nesbitt can be. Well, not only that, but uh, pairing him up with Checky Cardio. Uh, who who uh, was Bob in La Femme Nikita? Just yeah. watching those two uh, try to solve a groovy mystery was just fantastic to watch. Well, he's like he's one of those French actors that you don't know his name because yeah, even I'm like I've seen this guy in a hundred movies and I was like, wait, what is that? What his name is? <laughs> Holy yeah. shit! Well, the, uh, the dude personifies French cool so well. Yeah, him between him and John Renault, if they had found a way for them to have a kid together, France would like end up taking over the world. Right? Yeah, they they never quite met in La Femme, and they really should have. Yep. Uh, yeah, he was in Goldeneye as well, and John d'Arc, uh, Saving Grace, Kiss of the Dragon, A Very Long enga- Engagement, The Gravediggers, uh, a whole bunch of stuff. One of those actors who is, yeah, you're right, he's France personified pretty much. Yeah, and him playing the, the older detective who was like the head guy on the case back when, but in, mo- in like modern times, you know, now-ish, uh, he's retired because of an injury. We get to see along the way what exactly that was. And uh, gets suckered back into coming back onto the case again when this new evidence pops up. I don't know. I was with this all the way to the end. Oh, it was it was it was fantastic because it it sets up a, a very very immediately relatable feeling of of complete 
fear and loss of, of somebody dear to you. And then it also juggles with long after everything has been uh, supposedly settled, how old wounds can reopen. And as the, the backstory goes along, you just see these fibers just uh, snapping off and you see a darker and hideous and just more gruesome world that you didn't really think you lived in. Yep. Uh, also, Saeed Tag- Tagmoli, I think that's how you say mm-hmm. his name. You might re- remember from uh, being the Iraqi interrogator captain in Three Kings, but he's been in a bunch of stuff since then. He also has a pretty big role in this as well. Wait, was he the one who said my main men in Three Kings? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a guy who poured oil down Mark Wahlberg's throat with a CD case. Okay, so obviously this guy needs a standing ovation. Yeah, well, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I I think if you guys are fans of, like, I, this is for people who like shows like The Killing, except, oh, guess what? They actually did the smart thing and wrapped it up in a single season. Right. <laughs> that was my thing. I'd still have been watching The Killing if it wasn't, if it hadn't ended with, oh, yeah, and season two, maybe we'll get to solve the, the murder. I'm like, no, fuck you. If there's extra time. <laughs> you don't get to do a whole, like, a whole multiple seasons of a show about one murder. Now, now people who, who really enjoy being able to soak up uh, scenes and, and let disturbing silence set in and just have a, a very uh, mediated pace are going to love this. Yeah, this is becoming, especially in Euro- European television, a very dominant paradigm lately like the french show the returned Mm -hmm. has much the same feel i mean it's a zombie show that's very quiet and peaceful and meditative and really intense at the same time (laughs) yeah because it gives you time to 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 sit and 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 ruminate about what's going on yeah with great performances and lots and lots of character background and interactions i mean it's just a really good show. I really, uh, I really recommend the missing season one. Uh, I don't know if there's any plan to do a second season. I, I believe there is, but is with there, a different story. I know that I know that they had talked about. Okay, yeah. So there is a there is a plan. It says okay. And apparently, a short teaser had aired after it saying a new case, the missing will return. So presumably, all new people. That's right. It'd be weird. More missing. James Nesbitt as like some other person in his life get kidnapped. And yeah. Obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, I, you know, I guess I, I'm happy to hear other places are doing sort of the True Detective slash Fargo format now where it's like, hey, this is the, the brand with the writers and directors attached to it that you're like, oh, I love these people who do this. I love the people behind it. I don't require the exact same cast. In a right. We don't need story. continuity. Like, yeah. just, just, get, just get the key notes right. I still look back and wonder what had happened if Fox had stuck to their guns with 24 because the original plan was going to be one and done next season. Totally different story. It was going to be totally 48. different characters. And then 72. No, no, no. no it was going to be 24, but a whole new set of characters, whole new scenario. But they basically balked. They saw how popular it was and went, we don't think people are going to watch if we take away Jack Bauer. Well, maybe they're right. Maybe they weren't for the time period. But for now, things have changed. Yeah. But now we're smarter and more evolved. <laughs> As opposed to Audrey Tateau in He Loves Me, He Loves Me Not. Uh, now, you didn't get a chance to see this film. I did not. This is essentially. OK, so have you ever seen Amelie? Yes. Okay, Amelie's where the whole world fell in love with Audrey Tattoo. It's like this mm-hmm. romantic fantasy with amazing visu- visuals by Jean-Paul Genet. I mean, for a lot of people, that was their first Jean-Paul Genet film. Some of the cutest sex scenes you've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Well, the whole thing is just so adorable. <laughs> it's just precious as hell. And it's this woman who's just obsessed with this idea of true love and is essentially stalking this guy, but the movie is not really... That's not really what the way it, way it plays out in the film. It's just, you know, the movie believes in true love. 
as opposed to her role in He Loves Me, He Loves Me Not, a French film that actually came back all the way in 2002, not too long after she did Amelie, and was, even she said, basically a direct attempt to address like the opposite <laughs> side of that from Amelie. This is a film that takes place in two halves. The first half with Teto playing a fine arts student uh, who is having an affair with a married cardiologist played by Samuel Lee Behan. Uh, and, you know, I mean, at first, like, it, they're having an affair, and she's like, okay, I think he's starting to try and blow me off. And then she's like, no, wait, I think he's actually going to leave her wife. Oh, no, shit, she's pregnant. Fuck, you know, getting a little bit angry. Then... You're blowing it off because she's really in love with this guy. And then it kind of ends in heartbreak and tragedy. And then the film stops and rewinds and goes back to the beginning and tells you the whole story from the viewpoint of the cardiologist. Oh. Who, as it turns out, never has even met this girl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and suddenly it's a really creepy, fucked up thriller. As you realize, you just, you never saw them together before. You just presumed from the viewpoint you were seeing that, yeah, of course they were together. Oh, that's, no, that's, that's yummy. That's, that's juicy. It's a pretty clever little thing and a great example of uh, the unreliable narrator, mm -hmm. you know, form of, of storytelling. Um, now, I think by, a lot of standards. I mean, there's certainly been a lot of movies that resemble the second half of this movie and just the second half of this movie where you're like, oh, it's a crazy stalker person who's in love with someone and does horrible but, things. But, but so are you saying that because you spent the, the first half just like, oh, go, girl, you you get them feels. And then it's the second well, like, yeah, even, oh, these feels are even insane. In the, even in the first half, though, you're like, OK, now you're going too far <laughs> at a certain point. You're like, um, you're really starting to crack up here. But you feel bad for her the whole time. In the second half, you do not feel bad for her. She is a full-blown loony with a, what they call erotomania. Oh! It sounds ooh. like a title of a Russ Myers film. Yeah, or it sounds like a, <laughs> some sort of firearm. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that this is one of those movies that is prob probably was a little more... Had a little more punch shortly after Amelie came out, just seeing this actress do this, just following that film. Uh, and certainly before a lot of other films, the very American films, like another film we're talking about this week, The Boy uh, Next Door. <laughs> oh, <laughs> a lot yeah. more films like that came out. But still, this is a really interesting film. It's very well done and a wonderful performance by Tato, who's like, like creating that charming Amelie character and then showing you the complete like really through a performance showing you that dark, horrific side of that type of obsessive love. <laughs> uh, while we're talking French stuff, let's go to French Canada and talk about the Cannes Film Festival award-winning Mommy. Mommy. Not Mammy, Mommy. Mammy. Mammy. I love you. Why is your frame at 1-1 one, one the whole time? All right, yeah, let's go ahead and start with that. So... <laughs> You texted me going, I don't know if I can watch this film. It's all at 1-1. One, one. Well, it's like I, watching a movie on someone's cell phone. Well, at first when I was watching, I thought, oh, I do believe my computer is broken. Wait, no, no, it's not. No, wait. Went online just to double check, and I actually looked up Mommy the Movie aspect ratio, and boop, just pops right up. Yep, it was done in 1-1. One, one. Now, it's, it's it's a it's a device that's, that's used rather well, but uh, it... It takes a little getting used to, uh, and I think it instills instills the, the 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 viewpoint and feelings that they that they were trying to instill. It's just very uncomfortable, so well, it's it's sharing that with you. It very much takes some getting used to, that's for sure. Although the moments and there's a few moments in the film where it opens to a full widescreen, yes, they're kind of transcendent moments. Like you just you don't know when it's going to happen. It doesn't happen often, and when it does, you kind of feel kind of filled with joy when it does. <laughs> Not just because oh god, now my eyes 
can stop freaking out, but in the story, it makes sense in the context. Right, right. Uh, but but when things are about to go bad and it goes back to to the the one to one, you're like, uh oh, I don't know what's going on, Shit's but it's going gonna down. be nasty. It's gonna be the new horror movie device they use after <laughs> found footage. You know? They really, yeah, oh yeah, please let's do <laughs> that. Like every time, oh, the killer's coming, go to one one. <laughs> yeah, or or we take out every third line. You know, soon they'll just turn the film upside down in horror films. Fuck it, we have tried everything else. <laughs> the killer's coming. Turn the film upside down. Uh, this film stars Anne Dorval as Diana Dupre, who's one of those actresses you've seen in other stuff. She's a beautiful, uh, hate to say it, but MILF. Come on, let's face it. <laughs> French-Canadian actress uh, that was in uh, I Killed My Mother, Heartbeats, Lawrence Anyways, uh, has won a shit ton of acting awards uh, in France, mind you. But um, she plays a widowed mom who is raising her really, really... No, the kid's fucked up. Fucked up kid, Steve, <laughs> played by Antoine Oliver Pilon. Uh, she's raising this kid as a single parent. I don't know precisely what's wrong with this kid, but, like, he's not dumb at no, all. No, uh, he's not dumb. He's not smart. He's not a full-blown psychopath. Uh, he's he's not necessarily autistic, but there's definitely some biological uh, inconsistencies in his brain type area. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he goes from zero to 60 in anger, like, in no time at all. And she's honestly at the end of a rip. The, the film starts with this very odd thing, like a scroll on the screen. And I'm like, okay, I guess we needed to know that this is technically speculative fiction. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, that says something about, what is it? Let me see if I can find this. Well, they, they, they were talking about a, a, an act uh, that was passed in Canada that basically says, yeah. if your kid's uh, messed up in the head... Uh, you can place them in any public hospital without yep. the law getting involved. Right. Yeah, which is where it starts off with, with him in the hospital and her coming to pick him up. And things get... Oh, you mean boarding school? <laughs> no, it was like a hospital. Either. No, no, that was that was the story that she told people. Oh, yeah, that yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, it starts off like they're, they're close, but he is clearly the dominant force in this relationship, um, almost to a very creepy extent at points. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's definitely overtones of incest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he's, he's wearing his daddy thong. Yeah. Uh, but when a neighbor that they meet, uh, Suzanne Clement, uh, she's a stuttering school teacher who has a kind of odd relationship with her husband. You never really find out what's going on there. Yeah, her entire backstory never explained. Yeah, yeah you just get the idea that they're like they're not married. They're just kind of... Yeah, her B friend that she has a has a kid with. Yeah, uh, but she they start becoming friends. She comes over and starts helping with this kid Steve uh, until one time happens when basically she's taking care of Steve by herself. He's acting out like crazy, and boy, does she bring the fucking oh shit yeah down. yeah. <laughs> she's like no. I <laughs> uh, what, what, what I thought of was she is clutch as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then how that changes the dynamic of the whole uh, triptych relationship from there. Yeah, basically she she peed on him and <laughs> and uh, not literally. Well, he uh, peed on her. He did pee on her yeah. because she peed on him well, <laughs> metaphorically. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, but I don't want to say any more as to where it goes from there. Um, it's not one of those very plot heavy films. It's definitely a character exploration. Yes, but I found it really fascinating. It, it was fantastic. I thought uh, their their use and their play with. Uh, not just the aspect 
aspect ratio, but uh, the 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 color temperature of 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 the of the movie, they 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 played with that also to go ahead and affect mood and tone. Oh, definitely. I mean, despite being in one one, it's a beautiful looking film. It's just frustrating because the cinematography is so good. You wish you were looking at it. In right. Part of part of the problem with with the, the aspect ratio is is that at least uh, my brain kept trying to fill in the rest of the frame. Yeah. <laughs> so and maybe that was the the, re, the reasoning behind doing it at all. Oh yeah, right. no, it was it was done with absolute purpose, and whatever that purpose was, I think I experienced it. <laughs> yeah, I think I got it. I, I did really like this film. It's another one of those ones that's really for the crowd that wants to see just a really good character based art film. That is what this is. I didn't find it dull. At no, all, it, it wasn't. But. That this nonetheless, this still has to be your type of film for you right. to enjoy it. Be- because make no mistake, uh, each of the main characters is messed up in one way or the other. Oh yeah, completely. But uh, yeah, very rewarding. I think nonetheless, also a great soundtrack of stuff that plays. Even some of the songs I I'm not crazy about were so effectively used in the movie that I was like, oh okay. Like I, I really hate Wonderwall by Oasis. Yeah, that that, that surprised song. me. But they use it really well in the movie. <laughs> Well, and, and uh, the Ruslein Rot, I, for, I forget what the, the, the English translation is, but it's, a, it's an old German folk song that, that they, that they kind of did all uh, uh, operatically, and it's like, I did not expect to hear that. Yeah, so I, I think overall we both recommend that. So far, we're going three for, uh, three for three on this one, which is pretty good show. Don't worry, we'll come up with some crap here. Yeah, we later. can shit on stuff, don't worry. Uh, but uh, I'm going to do one of the other ones I got to see that you didn't, which is the finally got to me, Wreck 4 Apocalypse. Now, mind you, this got a theatrical release in January 2nd, 2015. Came out on DVD and blue, or just DVD on uh, April 12th, 2015. And I just got it in the mail yesterday. So, and and this is after I was bugging the reps a month before this film even came out in the theater. Really want to see the screening of this? Can you at least send me a screener or a link, anything? And like something like three weeks after it was out in the theater, I get an email back. Hey, did you say you wanted to see Rec? Seriously, people? Well, they were playing hard to get. <laughs> it's like if I'm just tell. I want to tell the directors of the creators of this film. Hey, if there was any problem with like maybe why the film didn't make as much money as you thought it did. Yeah, I'm telling you where to look. <laughs> what the problem was. Nobody knew this film fucking came out, much less came out on DVD. I didn't until you told me about it. I was like, oh, that's a thing? Yeah, this is the fourth film. As far as I'm concerned, it's the third film, but technically the fourth film in the Wreck series, which is a Spanish series of horror films, the first three of which filmed in a found footage style. Uh, this fourth one, not... There's moments here and there, but overall, the first one that's not that's filmed like a regular film, uh, and Wreck One and Two were really considered in horror circles to be just kind of groundbreaking. Like, like if you're going to go, probably the best examples of found footage in horror, I got to go with Wreck One and Two. Really scary zombie, come sort of exorcist type <laughs> horror films set in a tenement building. Uh, genuinely frightening stuff. The first one was remade, kind of mediocre, stylishly as uh, uh, what the hell was it? Quarantine. Name? Quarantine. I, I just they. It was okay until they got to the ending, and then they ruined the the thing that made it so frightening at the ending of Wreck. They ruined it. They were like, oh no no, it was just a virus. I was like, yeah, that's not as scary. Wreck three. For some reason, they said, let's take this super dark, incredibly bleak, scary horror series and make a splat stick horror comedy. 
And the, everyone went, what? <laughs> Why would you do that? That takes place in a totally different place at a wedding, and I was not crazy about it. Good special effects, but other than that, meh. Rec 4 goes back to... Uh, well, the Rec 3 and 4 were split up between the two directors who made Rec 1 and 2 together. Rec 4 is the other guy <laughs> who clearly has is more in line with the previous two films because this is back to being more of an intense, straightforward, uh, you know, Rec-style zombie film uh, taking place right after the events of the second film where the lead character, Angela Vidal, who was the survivor in most of the first two films... Uh, played by Manuela Velasco, has basically soldiers come in the house to blow up the place, the tenement, realize she's still alive and still in there and man should get out with her. And then Flash, we're on this cruise, the ship out in the middle of the ocean with a bunch of scientists and a few military guys. So basically we're talking Day of the Dead here. Oh, I thought you were going to say <laughs> uh, cruise control. No, no, no. <laughs> no. This is definitely the Day of the Dead to Rec 2's Dawn of the Dead. Okay. You know, it, where it's like, oh... They're trying to figure out how to cure this thing. Uh, and there's a bunch of people on the ship. There's the one survivor from the third movie is on the ship. There's the two soldiers who, who survived going in the house to try and get this girl in the first place in the beginning of this film. And they're doing experiments, but nobody knows exactly on what. And meanwhile, Angela is just kind of wandering around the ship in a daze, and no one seems to be able to tell her what the fuck is actually going on here. Well, guess what? Things go terribly wrong. And before no, you know it, the no. ship is crawling with the crazy rage zombies running around everywhere. Wait. And a, a brand new twist on the Wreck series, which comes up with an explanation for what, what these things come from, that even though it acknowledges that the whole, like exorcism, Satan, Satanistic end of the world thing they were starting to move towards in Wreck 2 sort of just sweeps it under the rug at the same time goes, no, 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 it's this other thing. Well, they wanted to stay secular. Give everybody a chance at <laughs> apocalypse. But that was the problem with quarantine. It, it took away a lot of the scariness and made it, in fact in this one, the way it went with it, it actually gets kind of silly with the direction that they go where it's like, oh, it's actually a super intelligent parasite. <laughs> Isn't it always? And they do kind of a the thing thing with like, oh, who's the one hosting the super intelligent parasite? And it's not that it doesn't work. I I don't think this is a bad film at all. I just don't think it was that scary. And the first two were so scary. And this one is like, okay, I guess this would have been, this is what Wreck 3 should have been. Because even though this is called, well, it's funny, Wreck 3 is called Wreck 3 Genesis it's not the beginning of the story, so there's no reason for it to be called that. And Rec 4 is called Rec 4 Apocalypse, and there's nothing apocalyptic happening in this film. And they could have called it Shipwreck. Yeah, they they, they, <laughs> they should have called it, like, you know, Rec 4, maybe the end. Or Rec 4, why the hell not? Or Rec 4, shrug, it's on a ship. Rec 4, gotta keep it going. <laughs> uh, they've said this is gonna be the last one, and like I said, it just doesn't feel like that at all. Uh, even by the very end, you're like, really? Because this doesn't feel like you're telling me this is the end of the well, series. Well, did it say the end with a question mark? No, but it did have this little sort of like jokey thing at, at the end with the survivors that was like, oh, look, they made it type of deal. But I, I don't know. I enjoyed this for what it's worth. I do think if you like the Rex series, this is very much worth watching. It's just going to think be more of a disappointment that it is the final film in the you know supposedly in the series that it is you know things are supposed to be better as they go along in in this type of series rec 2 was certainly better than rec 2 was the hellraiser 2 to rec 1's hellraiser mm -hmm. you know improved on the formula made it scarier gave it more depth this one doesn't really it tries to do something slightly different and it doesn't completely work but overall not a terrible film 
Now we'll talk to, about stuff that you have seen. Okay. <laughs> and let's start with one of my favorite David Lynch films that's getting a re-release on DVD, which is nice because this is the first time this has been re-released on DVD since it first came out in, I think, 2001 or something, uh, w- with all the bonus features it originally came out with, and that is Wild, Wild at Heart. Wild at Heart, baby. Lynch is, ba- as near as I can tell, this is Lynch's attempt to make a comedy, but, but it's hard to say that for sure. <laughs> If I, if I can be so bold, I would say that it is Lynch's attempt to make Nicolas Cage the movie. And you know what? It worked! It, it kind of is. This movie is uh, David Lynch's uh, 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 symbol for his belief in individuality and personal freedom. Why, why would you say that? It's almost like that was a line that was repeated in the movie while donning a snakeskin jacket. <laughs> it's almost like that's what happened. This is not a film for everyone. Make no mistake, it is goofy and bizarre and surreal and absurd it toys with convention even having the most deus ex machina ending of all time that totally knows what it is and is winking and nudging the oh yeah yeah, while yeah. It's, yeah it's, it. it's deus ex glenda <laughs> in fact it's it's in some ways specifically a reference to the book which ended very differently and originally they shot that ending, and you see the original ending in this film, and then they filmed a codicil to end, make it end <laughs> the way that Lynch thought it should have ended in the first place. Look, if you've, if you've got a young child, and you don't want him to be well-adjusted, but you do want him to be interesting, sit him down and make him watch this movie. <laughs> I don't know if I would recommend putting a young child in front of this film. Well, okay, like eight. I'm not a monster. <laughs> I don't know if I would go with that either. Uh, although this is constantly alluding to the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, see, it's four kids all the way through it. It's like Wizard of Oz, Wizard of Oz, Wizard of Oz. Uh, I I've seen this film so many times, and I still have no idea what he means by that. <laughs> like, why is it allude to the Wizard of Oz constantly? I don't know. Well, because they finally found his heart, baby. Yeah, it's if Elvis was in Oz. Well, yeah, I mean, it had been a long time since I had seen this. So at first I just thought, wow, Nick Cage can't do a, a, a North Carolina accent. He's just going for Elvis. And then, oh, no, he is going for Elvis. Oh, okay, well, all right. Yeah, he's decidedly <laughs> going. He's Elvis if he liked going to heavy metal shows. Yes, but still dressed like uh, a disco lemonade Elvis. Like, <laughs> but, but he's going to go see Ministry. Yeah, there's a one of the funniest scenes in this whole movie is where they go to see this metal band and they're like thrashing and pogoing and this guy like basically starts trying to dance with with his oh, girl. With wait, the, you mean Brendan Fraser? <laughs> that wasn't Brendan Fraser. He looked kind of like a, a, a the little punk kid brother of Brendan <laughs> Fraser. But uh, he's trying to dance with Laura Dern, who plays uh, Lula uh, Sailor Ripley, which is Nicolas Cage, with his true love, and the music stops and everyone gathers around. He's like, oh. I believe you're trying to uh, you're you're bothering my lady. You need to apologize, her. And they get in the big fight and everything, and like which lasts like two seconds because Sailor plays a badass and makes the guy apologize to his girlfriend. Uh, and then he goes to the band and goes basically puts his hand up and they throw the mic in his hand and he starts singing an Elvis song and the band is playing perfectly along. This is a heavy metal thrash metal band. Right, yeah. They, they, <laughs> and then the crowd, the girls are screaming like out of a Beatles video. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they they just turned off all their stomp boxes and then got out their tweed Fender amp and just, just played perfectly. <laughs> just 
It's just such a crazy scene. You're like, what the... F-? This is one of the scenes where you're in the theater, you sit and you just kind of turn sitting next to the person next to you, and you don't know if you're looking at them with, like, a sense of wonder or right. disgust. Yeah, we're actually watching this, right? This is this is happening <laughs> is this in real really space. Is happening? Well, and unfortunately, uh, you get HDS, the Harry Dean Stanton, and... I wish there was more of him, but he was really not necessary for all that cage. He, he was just getting in the way of cage. There's no way you can balance the animal that cage is. The, the only person who comes close to balancing him is, is Laura Dern, who is super intense herself playing the Marilyn Monroe type, like a country Marilyn Monroe, who's just, you know, she's hotter than Georgia Asphalt Sailor. She's constantly <laughs> like having like great proclamations and being sexy in a ridiculously exaggerated yeah, way. I can Considered her more of a Mimi Van Dorn because, okay, yeah. because you know she could actually like move. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Diane Ladd is a role of a lifetime here. As oh yes. had a fortune, basically the evil, the evil witch of the wicked witch of the West, as they show her constantly in here. Who's Lula's mother? Who is completely batshit insane and has forbidden Lula to see Sailor to the point where uh, she is hired. Like Harry Dean Stanton's character, Johnny Farragut, not even hired. He's a private detective who's in love with her. Yeah, for she's just stringing him along. That are baffling to go find them and bring her back because she knows how to properly apply makeup. <laughs> and as well has hired, uh, like, it's gotten another guy who's just obsessed with it, this guy Santos, uh, who is I'm trying to see what the actor is who plays him here, and I don't see it. But um, oh yeah, J. E. Freeman, who is a hardcore like nasty gangster who's like I'm, I'm not just gonna go kill uh, Sailor I'm also gonna kill Johnny Farragut yeah he's he's just some slick greasy gross guy <laughs> that, that's his job title my favorite thing though is his boss Mr. Reindeer who's played by Ed W. Uh, Morgan Shepard who mm-hmm. also appears along with several other people in this film in uh, Twin Peaks but Every time you see him, he'll be like taking a shit on the toilet, and there's like a beautiful girl naked, like, just yeah, just, d- there. just dancing, just wherever doing he it. is. There's like like topless girls just kind of doing work, talking about like normal stuff while he's doing day to day shit. He figured out how he wanted to decorate his life, and he yeah. accomplished that. I, he's kind of my hero. <laughs> I'll be honest with you here, uh, but they encounter along the way with this road trip a lot of rather colorful characters, uh, and some of which just appear in flashbacks. There's a great cameo by Crispin Glover. Oh, so good. As Del, uh, Lula's mentally ill cousin who did all sorts of weird stuff. I wanted to see a spinoff of this movie just about what happened to Del. I just wanted to see more Crispin Glover. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. It's like, because like, they set up a mystery like, oh, what happened? He just disappeared at the end of the story. And you're like, well, what the fuck happened to Dell? <laughs> yeah, that's what I really want to know guy. about. Uh, presumably, he's in the Black Lodge, is my guess. Uh, but yeah, Grace Zabriskie is a crazed criminal. Isabella Rossellini, uh, a former uh, associate with Sailor, who now is is not really on his side. Sherilyn Fenn from Twin Peaks has a very weird little role as a girl in a car accident they find. Cheryl Lee, also from Twin Peaks, plays the Good Witch of the West. Jack Nance, also from Twin Peaks, and the guy who played uh, a racerhead. And David Lynch's first film has a wonderful little scene where he just this monologue he gives as they're sitting around the motel just drinking where they're staying in this tiny little Texas town that somebody has spray painted on the welcome to sign on it. Fuck you. <laughs> but a wonderful little role. But the, the king of all the supporting roles in here is William Defoe, who plays oh, Bobby Peru, who is 
got the most disturbing set of fake teeth I have ever seen. Oh, they were fantastic. <laughs> oh, it was so good. Willem, uh, I, it was it was research to play uh, the goblin. <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, the te- it's weird. It's like his teeth are too small. Like, they're all like, like the, you see people where they're yeah, got he, too much Yeah, he, he had nubbins. He's got too much gum. Yeah. <laughs> too much gum, not enough teeth. Well, and uh, set inside of Willem Dafoe's natural face. So it's, yeah. it's just going to be horrifying. You know that's that's horrifying by default. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff to love in this film, but it is, ne- of course, it's not for everyone. I, although I do think this is actually one of the more accessible David Lynch films. Yes. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. not on the level of the, like, the straight story or something like that, which was, you know, produced by disney <laughs> you know, right but, straight, but there's, or, there's or the elephant man which is a straight narrative but like if you compare this to stuff like blue velvet or mulholland drive or stuff like that then yeah this is a lot easier to understand yeah what's happening. because nicholas cage puts on a a, a a snakeskin jacket and tells you that it's an affirmation of his personal freedoms uh, i laugh all the way through this film just constantly oh it's a cracker and, and, and you would say if this was a crappy film you'd be laughing at it but it's not a crappy film. It knows exactly what it's doing. And it just feels like you're laughing at it because <laughs> of how ridiculous the sequence yeah, is. It's, it's definitely one of those, those double take movies like, oh, no, wait, I actually am enjoying this genuinely. I don't have to be pretentious. Very true. Uh, so next up is Hollywood Shuffle, which is Hollywood. kind of a classic, really. Oh, absolutely. A lot of people never got to see it. It didn't have the legs a lot of other films that came out in the 80s did. Uh, this came out in 1987 uh, and was the, you know. This is this is the one where Robert Townsend put it like he maxed out his credit cards making it, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh, and it took him a couple of years to make this thing. This was really kind of the first real appearance by Robert Townsend on the scene and Keenan Ivory Wayans, who also co-wrote it with him. Oh, I mean, this. Him yeah. And, uh, Dom Herrera, who appears. In this <laughs> Dom film. Jack Herrera. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's a it's. Uh, a showcase of a lot of talent that in the coming decade you would see a lot of these actors um and it dealt with issues that were certainly pertinent to to racial casting uh at the time and i think still exist uh but spread out against different ethnicities yeah no absolutely true um i think at the time certainly in 1987 this was decidedly true about black actors trying to get casting and Hispanic actors where they were always being cast as like criminals. You're right. And if you couldn't go, Hey man, you a jive Turkey. Then you, you weren't going to get cast. Yeah. You weren't going to get roles unless you were Morgan Freeman. Right, yeah. (laughs) Um, He got the pass. Robert Townsend, writer and director, plays Bobby Taylor, who's a middle class, very nice guy living with his his family, with his grandmother and and his uh, younger brother, Stevie. Uh, and he's trying to be an actor. He's, he works at the shittiest fast food restaurant in the entire universe. But he's got John Witherspoon with him, so you know it's going to be a good time. <laughs> Some of the funniest scenes in the movie are actually at that fast food restaurant where Keenan Ivory wins and, and the other guys are trying to, to basically tell him, you know, you, you got to forget about all that acting shit. You got to pay attention to, to Win- what's it called? Winky Dog? Yes, I believe so. <laughs> Winky Dinky Dog is the name of the restaurant that he works at. But... Uh, the whole time he's trying to, he's like having to lie to them so he can get to go to auditions. And what makes this work the most, I think, is the way it goes into these fantasy sequences that sort of illustrate what it is he's feeling like 
that these guys want from him, what Hollywood is is telling him that he has to be. Uh, my favorite being this: there's a sequence uh, where he fantasizes a whole like film noir thing, yes. where he's like the detective, and uh, Keenan Ivory Wayans is like the bad guy with constantly spraying activator on his hair, and like <laughs> yeah. in the climactic scene, he like manages to t- get the activator away from him, and in like seconds, Keenan Ivory's hair starts curling in on itself it's, and clamping to his head. It's almost like it was laying the groundwork uh, for Eric LaSalle's character in, in like Coming to America. <laughs> well, you know, in many ways, I, I'd say there would be no In Living Color without this movie. Oh, no, definitely not. I no. mean, like, the sketches in this, the little dream sequences, are completely In Living Color sketches. Well, plus, I mean, it really is chock full of, of uh, very talented people. Like, uh, Damon Wayans is in it for a little bit. Uh, yeah. Tommy Davidson is in it for a little bit. Yeah. It just just everywhere you look there's there's somebody worth looking at yeah uh and it's you know it's i i think to some degrees like this isn't you know it's not as relevant as it once was because clearly there's a lot more black actors getting really relevant in like leading roles these days but it's still not to the degree it should be maybe right there's Uh, there's still there's still not an equilibrium yeah yeah, and it's funny, like, uh, another review I was reading points out, like, at the end of this, there's a thing where you see Bobby dreaming of the roles that he wants to play, to be, like, a Shakespearean king, to a superhero, to Rambro, <laughs> and you're, like, going, oh, well, actually, Denzel Washington took the Rambro character, so it's <laughs> pretty much what he made his career at this point. <laughs> He's the black guy who's your action star. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Uh, but, no, this is a wonderful comedy. Still very, very funny. If you've never seen this, it is well worth going out of your way to check out. It's funny. I, I just don't know anybody who anybody under the age of 30, 35 who's ever heard of this film. No, it, yeah. it, it uh, Well, because it didn't really have a super, super big release. Well, it, it, it was known, but it wasn't really well known. It's not it, like because the, the way they... they kept going through different scenes and what he was imagining. Like it kind of felt a little bit like Kentucky fried movie, but without the huge following just as far as how it was able to, to play with different things. Yeah. The difference being that these different scenes had a, had an actual message to them. Yep. All right. Next up is another film from the eighties teachers. Now I actually saw this when it came out and I remember going, huh, that was not what I thought it was going to (laughs) be. At all. Because the way they sell this is a really wacky high school comedy when it first came out. And it's a comedy, and it takes place in a high school. Wacky is not what I would go with. No. Yeah. No, I, w- I would not go with wacky. Th- there's one very character in this that's very like, okay, he was the wacky guy that they were trying to sell. Richard Mulligan, who plays a guy who was a uh, patient from a mental institution who basically takes a phone call in someone else's apartment for substitute teaching and then just shows up to be the substitute teacher. And no one notices that anything's wrong for like a month. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know, as 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 the, the clinically insane are able to do. Yeah, right. Sure, it happens all the time. But uh, Nick Nolte is the main character here playing Alex Durrell, who is a like a social studies teacher with tenure, who is one of the most popular uh, teachers in school. Everybody likes him because he's a really down-to-earth guy. I, I, I think we can abbreviate it to 1980s teacher in a movie. Yeah, well, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Um, and but he's kind of like he's at the point where he's like, you know, I just don't care. I like when I'm doing my job and everybody leaves me alone. But I'm just I can't bring myself to get involved in any of the politics anymore. Or if somebody gets left behind, man, fuck it. I just don't have time. Yeah, for his emotions shit. can't cash that check. He cannot deal with it anymore. And things get 
start to become real for him when he's kind of forced to mentor mentor a young man named Eddie, played by a young Ralph Macchio. I say young Ralph Macchio. Yeah, he's probably tell? like 18, 20 by then. But no, who can tell? He still looks like he's 18 or 20. No, no, he hit that bump where he transformed. <laughs> oh, did he finally? Yeah, he significantly aged. Okay, okay, because for the longest time, I think he was in his 30s, and I was like, you do, I still, you could play a high school kid. <laughs> yeah, he could crank kick up until like three years ago. <laughs> Uh, but uh, as he's waxing on, he tells him about how <laughs> uh, bad his home life is, all the shit that's going on, and they actually form this kind of bond as as Nick Nolte realizes, I kind of want to turn this kid back onto the path. He starts to get concerned. Uh, meanwhile, an old student who once had a crush on Nick Nolte's character, played by Joe Beth Williams, named Lisa Hammond, shows up, and now she's a lawyer who is basically taking depositions for a case where a graduate is suing the school because he got a diploma despite being completely illiterate. Which actually happens mm-hmm. all the time. <laughs> as scary as that is. Uh... And she's, like, you know, wanting to get him to be interested and care about this stuff while still wanting him to take his dick out of his pants. Yeah, the age disparity was was kind of confusing for me. Like, was Because they look like they're exactly the same. Right. So was he, like, uh, 19 (laughs) and a teacher? (laughs) A great teacher. But I, I think if there's a problem here, it's that... It never really successfully toes that line between being dramatic and having something to say and trying to be funny. Right. And even though it is a movie about uh, disadvantaged youth being brought up by the power of one teacher who can believe in them and Morgan Freeman, it doesn't have the, the same impact that, that, that say, uh, Lean on Me had. Yeah. And no one would call him Mr. Tibbs. No. <laughs> uh, this is, I mean, there have been movies like this since the 60s. And this is not one of the better ones, but it's still not a terrible movie at all. There's some really funny stuff that does happen in here. Well, there's, there's some- yeah, there's a charm to it, but it, leading to like Judd Hirsch. Yeah, and he's not exactly being waka waka, but he still has that air that that lends things to happen. Yeah, that's true. Um, Crispin Glover is in it in a very disappointing way because he's like kind of the character that really acts out. This guy, high school kid who's like has real problems, doesn't really know how to do the right thing and ends up becoming kind of a tragedy situation. And you just feel nothing nope. when it happens because you never get – the movie never lets you have any sort of connection with this kid at all. No, no. You just you just look at it like, oh, okay. That was tomato well, ketchup. That happened. <laughs> that was – you watch and go, that's natural selection, baby. You can't do anything <laughs> about that. <laughs> you got to weed out the weak. <laughs> now, one thing that, that I did notice, uh, and I'm, I'm jumping all the way to the end, is the first credits on, on uh, the, the, the end roll was – this is where you can buy the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, but that was the 80s in a nutshell right there. You know, <laughs> help, I'm the 80s in a nutshell. This is an Arthur Hiller film, of course, who is a director who has made much better stuff than uh, than this before. Uh, uh, the Americanization of Emily, The Hospital, The Out-of-Towners, Plaza Suite, The In-Laws. I mean, he's an extremely experienced, well-beloved director. And this is kind of a minor footnote, but still... Like I think the, the the real attraction here is Nick Nolte when he was at the top of his game. Oh yeah, when he was young, he was still what you would describe, I suppose, as good looking. It's weird to say that about Nick Nolte, well, but he, there was yeah. a point that he had that sort of gruff, good looking. Yeah, he he, he he was uh, he wasn't 40. a pretty boy, but his skin didn't look like Nagahide yet. Yeah, 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 yeah. He hadn't gone totally. Oh wow! Oh god! 
He, he wasn't in a race with Busey. <laughs> right. To see who could be the most washed up as an actor. Um, yeah. Okay. So mixed reviews on teachers. It's okay, but not essential. This next one scares me a bit. Um, I cannot say that I enjoyed Inherent Vice. Oh, okay. I can, at I, at that's, all. That's going to be a, a toughie. But I, at the same time, understand that I don't think it was meant for me at all. Okay. Um, I don't think it's a bad film in what it's trying to accomplish. I don't just don't understand why it's trying to accomplish what it's trying to accomplish. Well, I mean, maybe we, we had different uh, interpretations. I have to start off by saying I fucking hate Joaquin Phoenix. I oh, do really? not like him at all. I've never liked him. I can respect good performances, but just in general, not I, your guy. I, I really miss River. Um, <laughs> now, that being said, I loved him in this movie. I thought he was exactly what he was supposed to be. We are definitely on opposite sides on this one, then, because I even even with him, I was like, why did they cast him in this film? Uh, this is Paul Thomas Anderson, who is probably one of the most divisive currently working uh, big name directors who get full wide theatrical releases. I mean, you look at uh, two years ago, I believe it was The Master, mm-hmm. and similar reactions where people were like, felt very strongly about it one way or the other. Although I kind of felt like I was at the three quarters liked it mode on that. <laughs> like, I love all the performances in this movie. There's certain things I love about it. The cinematography was incredible. But there's points you're just like, why the fuck did you do that in the story that just bugged me afterwards? Inherent Vice is like the things that bugged me about The Master, but the entire movie. <laughs> The, I, what really the only thing that kind of bugged me was I thought it had a natural stopping point and it was like oh okay this ride is now over please exit to the right and then wait oh no there's 20 more minutes of it well that's the thing is this movie doesn't come to any finishing point at all there's no conclusion to this film and like it really drove me crazy the way the director kept defending it by saying, oh, it's just like in The Big Sleep. There's, you know, it's very complicated mystery and it has no real ending. It's like, motherfucker, I've seen The Big Sleep like five times and you don't know what you're talking about. It's complicated, but at the end you understand more or less what happened, just not what happened to the limousine driver. <laughs> Here, I'll be damned if I have a clue what the fuck happened in this movie. Oh, see, the thing is, I viewed this as, as a cinematic tchotchke. There was there was no art to be had other than just it looking pretty and you just you just kind of going along for the ride like oh hey that's cool yeah I like that all right it's over and now I can go on with my life and never have to think about it See, again I, I can respect that with a film if it aesthetically appeals to me like Wild at Heart is one of those films <laughs> okay it's insane we're not sure if it has a point it, the plot just meanders wherever it feels like going but at the end I was like you know what I still enjoyed the ride the whole way and all the weird little shit that was happening with this with all the weird little things that are happening I'm always like was that supposed to be funny I don't even know I, <laughs> I didn't laugh I just felt distressed <laughs> I, I don't know maybe it's because of my lack of respect of, of uh, Joaquin Phoenix that I was able to enjoy it so Take much it because surprise. I did not expect anything out of this movie uh, the story such as it is uh, follows Joaquin Phoenix who plays Larry Doc Sportello who is uh, a private investigator of a sort and basically just a hippie dopehead in the 1970s uh, who is just kind of hanging out in his fictional town of Gordita Beach in LA County 
when an ex-girlfriend, uh, Faye Hepworth, played by Catherine Watterson, shows up and uh, visits him and says, look, I've got this new lover, uh, uh, Mickey, uh, who's a real estate developer, and his wife is going to abduct him and commit him to an insane asylum. Yes, if I was a private detective at that point, I would go like, okay, seri- all right, so what are you this really about? Because I'm calling bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's insane talk, and that's not what's really happening. I've seen enough of these films to know. Um, so he goes on this weird quest to sort of half-acidly follow up on this. I mean, like, this is the most half-assed private detective in history. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, he's he's a pothead. Like, I mean, really, it's almost like... Like a Dirk Gently would be like, "Come on, man, you got to follow procedure to some degree." <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's he—it's a series of like kind of little comedic scenarios where he meets various oddball characters along the way, and the plot go, gets weirder and more and more complicated. And yeah, I—the I, thing that I think broke me for this film completely was Martin Short in it. Yeah, and how that he was figures into the plot where he's like this rich dentist guy who owns this big corporate dental corporation and maybe the head of an organization called the Golden Fang that actually probably has nothing to do with anything. So why is it in the fucking movie? <laughs> because there's a boat too, and uh, uh, I, you know what, what was really uh, just. Owen Wilson in it was just completely unnecessary. Oh, yeah. I mean, but um, there are no characters in this that are necessary. That's the thing. Like, almost no one in this film serves the plot except for Josh Brolin, who plays, like, the, the, you know, the exaggerated, cliched LAPD guy who doesn't really like the private detective and even beats him up sometimes, but, like, admits grudgingly that maybe he's better at solving crimes than he... Well, I, I didn't get that. I got that uh, that they kind of hinted to it, like, they had a history, like, they had gone to school together. Well, they definitely have a history, but it's certainly one of those, like, you know... Uh, going all the way back to Arthur Conan Doyle where there's a sort of like and slightly antagonistic relationship between the de- detective and the uh the local police official police detective mm-hmm. who's definitely not as good at his job as the the detective even though that doesn't appear to be true here nonetheless uh Brolin is is square-jawed and uh, officiate and and is playing it to a comedic hilt to where I felt like nobody else was quite bringing it up to his level no, that's definitely true. If they had all uh, become caricature like him, it, it would have served the movie. I mean, the only person who seemed to be trying that hard was Martin Short, who, all, no matter what he's in, is is doing that. And it just was that it was all that whole sequence felt like such a waste of time in the film that I got irritated by it. But uh, Brolin, when he's versus Joaquin, Joaquin is playing it so low and so down, and Brolin's playing it so high and so exaggerated that I, I just was like. I was just aggravated watching those sequences. <laughs> uh, there's a ton of other people in this film. I mean, it's. I mean, who doesn't want to be in a film by Paul Thomas Anderson at this point? I mean, like, all he had to do was make Boogie Nights, and you can he can do whatever the fuck he wants for the rest of his career. Well, this obviously, is proof positive of that. <laughs> uh, 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 like you said, Owen Wilson, Catherine Watterson, Reese Witherspoon, Benicio del Toro, Jenna Malone, Joanna Newsom. Maya Rudolph, Michael K. Williams, who is actually pretty good in his small role in here. Yes. Martin Donovan, Eric Roberts, 
uh, Jesus Christ, a whole bunch of other like character actors will be like, oh, I know that person. I saw that person on television. I don't know, man. Like, Except for Stephen really, Tobolowsky. Like, he should have been in that. Yeah, this feels like the film that <laughs> Stephen Tobolowsky was missing from. He should have been selling insurance, as he does. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Please help me understand. Uh, if you just want to watch something that... Uh, for the most part, the pace is all right. That's that's just visual popcorn. I say watch it. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody, but if somebody said, "Hey, I was thinking about watching Inherent Vice," so, well, as long as you got enough time, go for it. Like, I think it's fine. I think it's harmless. I th- I think it's not doing damage to cinema. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I'm not, I don't think it was doing damage to cinema either, because I think it's a footnote. <laughs> you know? Well, it's it's probably going to be on. Well, uh, maybe not WGN, but it'll be on Stars every fourth Sunday or something. Yeah, and I know people who love this film who are like, "This is one of my favorite films of all time." And I'm like, "I just don't get you, man. <laughs> I don't get you. I can see your point of view where you're like, you know, I just let it wash over me, and I was entertained enough by it." But yeah, it was it was it was the floaties in my pool. To me, it was just I, it just aggravated me, and it was. <laughs> Endless. It kept going. It really was. <laughs> uh, and this is one of these films that you actually want there to be a lot of extra features, so you can say, "Seriously, guys, explain, explain this yourselves. to me." Yeah. And no, no. There's like pretty much three small promo trailers, and and uh, and then one six minute deleted alternate sequence, and that's it. Yeah. So that's that's really not uh, bells or whistles to yeah, speak of. It's like even the extras on the film make me say meh. <laughs> All right, so next up is the movie that I'm actually going to call my pick of the week here. Uh oh. Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Oh, wait. So uh, I guess I'm Lightfoot? Uh, uh, why? Because that makes you Thunderbolt. Yeah, but why do I got to be the old guy? Okay, I, I'll be. Hey, I'll, I'll be the guy that lives. That's fine. <laughs> wait, wait. No, why, why, I, why, I haven't decided. Uh, this is. I did not know. I knew this was a Clint Eastwood and Jeff Bridges film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I knew mm-hmm. it was from the 1970s. Yep. yep Had yep. no idea this was Michael Cimino's first film. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-mm. No idea. He right. He went from this to making The Deer Hunter. Yep. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, this is like a caper film. You know, like this it, it feels like a Hal Needham movie almost. Well. uh I, I believe uh, I, I uh, admitted that one of my top favorite movies is Kelly's Heroes. Mm-hmm. This is basically a super watered down '70s convoy kind of version. Well, okay, Kelly's Heroes was in the '70s too, but it's it's like a convoy watered down version of Kelly's Heroes. I can kind of see that. Uh, Jeff Bridges is Lightfoot, who is you know who. For, uh, it's hard to remember now that Jeff Bridges used to be looked at as like a really good-looking leading man guy, and here he's like at his glowiest. Well, <laughs> yeah, and and I, I think Jeff Bridges has come full circle because he's basically his persona is basically Lightfoot in the movie. <laughs> True, uh, but uh, he steals in the beginning of the movie. We see him stealing a car, uh, uh, not just a car, a white Tram Zam with blue trim. It is amazing. Yeah, a really nice car. Fair enough. Um, uh, meanwhile, as he's driving, we see Clint Eastwood, who is a preacher at a little country church, and these assassins come in and try and shoot him. He goes running. Uh, Lightfoot comes along in his car, kind of accidentally drives over the guy trying to kill him, and Clint Eastwood jumps in the car, and thus a friendship is born. As it should Clint be. Clint Eastwood being the Thunderbolt, as that we turn, as it turns out, we find out pretty quickly in here that he's he was only a minister in hiding. He was actually a very famous on-the-run bank robber, no 
known as the Thunderbolt, who apparently was known for breaking into an unbreakable into safe using a 20 millimeter cannon to get. Yeah, it. yeah. If you if you're not incorporating uh, anti aircraft artillery into your next bank heist, kids, you're doing you're it d- wrong. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, totally, or at least without style, <laughs> without panache. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. These two, they're kind of like just in, like, they're literally just kind of driving along and trading off cars here and there and kind of just enjoying life and becoming friends. Does well, sort of. It was it was a lot of like, hey, man, that's really cool. Kid, you talk too much. <laughs> yeah. But the same thing. <laughs> but, but, but bonding still. But there's some... but there's, a, there's obviously a bond from these guys still right from the beginning, I would say, to some level. And it gets wackier when they end up teaming up with two uh, other uh old bank robbers who used to work with Clint Eastwood, played by George Kennedy and Jeffrey Lewis. Jeffrey who, Lewis who, being a blithering idiot. Right, who were trying to kill him in the beginning. Yeah, who were trying to kill him in the beginning. George Kennedy is like the, the the gruff guy who just is not that bright himself, but thinks he's bright. He wants to be the alpha, but he's, he's, got, he's got it all. He's absolutely incapable. But to be fair, I think he has the best lines in the movie. He does, absolutely. Uh, I, I wrote a few down, oh, if, if I may. By, by all means. Uh, all right, drop your cocks and reach for your socks. <laughs> Come on. If you say that to somebody while you're holding a gun to their head, you have won at life. That's pretty much become immortal dialogue now. And uh, the, the the other one that I really loved was, look, kid, go fuck a duck. <laughs> Once again, people have been saying it ever since. Right. You, you see a nine-year-old and they're not minding their business. It's time to go fuck hey, a duck. Kid, fuck a duck. I'm like, I'm all, right. all right, mister. I guess it is Tuesday. I say so. Do you see any ducks around here? <laughs> duck, All kids speak like duck, they're from Brooklyn. Duck. Ooh, goose. Anyway, uh, this is a super fun movie. It ends up eventually being like, oh, we got to pull another big uh, bank heist. Yay, as a viewer. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> Hurrah! <laughs> uh, really fun, classic 70s style guys on the, on the road type film. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So much fun. Couldn't recommend it more, quite frankly. This is... Like like I said, my pick of the week. The uh, the opening shot of the church, I really thought, man, Tarantino really wishes he had opened up Kill Bill this way, right? <laughs> well, he kind of opened Kill Bill too that way. Yeah, but <laughs> but it was just it was so beautifully framed for for just a little junky movie. Yeah, yeah, very true. Um, unfortunately. There's uh, nothing really on here but a poster gallery for it. Uh, Which is kind of fun to see. Yeah, it's all Clint Eastwood like growling at the screen, at the image, pretty much. But, pretty much. Uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the hell out of this movie. Thoroughly recommend it. I can't say the same for our anti-pick of the week this week. Well, you can't? Always Woodstock. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, which is, we're not going to spend much time on this one because, quite frankly, I don't even know how this motherfucker got a DVD release at all, uh, except that, uh, what's her name from Futurama and... and Katie Seagal. Katie, Katie Seagal has a small role in it, so I'm like, maybe she produced it or something? I, I don't even know, but Always Woodstock is a absolutely horrifically unfunny romantic comedy and, and kind of sexist, too, where this woman who wants to be a singer musician like singer songwriter but has been working at like a shitty record company uh loses her job at the record company ends up going back to her hometown of in woodstock new york 
that uh, apparently she owns a huge, gorgeous house there and has just let it sit. You know you forget about those things. I was like, so wait, she's been working a shitty job, barely making ends meet in New York City. How is she affording the sales tax or the, 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 <laughs> the, property, the, the tax. property tax on this giant house in Woodstock all these years? But her parents had died when she was much younger, and I guess there was some amount of I don't want to deal with it. In her, but she's like, you know what? I'm gonna go live in this house. I'm gonna, I'm gonna play music. You know. Also, her boyfriend in her town, she catches cheating on her in one of the most generic, predictable. Sequences. Oh, Jason Ritter's a heartbreaker. We all know that. <laughs> uh, and so she gets there, and she immediately meets a creepy, sta- unstable uh, stalker uh, doctor. <laughs> who uh, just literally keeps appearing in her life. And I mean, like, they could, this is one of these movies like, He Loves Me, He Loves Me Not. You could refilm this from a different angle and be like, Oh, yeah, that guy's a psychotic stalker. <laughs> but this movie wants you to believe he is like the heartthrob who's been waiting for her in Woodstock all these years to take care of her and make her life better. Well, she doesn't need taken care of. Maybe in the Pulp Fiction sense. <laughs> <laughs> you take care of her? <laughs> Yes, take care of her in that way. Do not take her to dinner. She will make your life miserable. Um, So it ends up going with like, oh, she's falling for him, but she's also kind of, she wants to be a musician. And Katie Seagal is like a once was famous musician who retired and is just running a restaurant in the town who becomes her mentor. But of course, then she fucks it all up when she has a shot at like going to the big time in a way, a really terrible way. You know what? This movie's just fucking terrible. Okay. Skip it. That's that's enough said. Instead, we'll talk about another terrible movie <laughs> that at least maybe you you may have encountered in your passing called The Boy Next Door. Oh. Oh? Oh, yes. The, oh, did you like The Boy Next Door? Oh, no. Oh, oh, oh no. <laughs> it's the opposite of the Oh, Yeah song by Yellow. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> bow, bow. Oh, no. Oh, mm, Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, Boy Next Door is a film came out earlier this year. They describe it as an erotic thriller. I did not find it particularly erotic. No. Directed by Rob Cohen, who directed the first Fast and the Furious film. Uh, Boy has his star fallen since then. Starring Jennifer Lopez as a high school teacher named Claire, who's in the midst of a separation with her husband. Admittedly, kind of a the least angry separation ever as it's like oh absolutely are we separated or are we just kind of taking a break from each other or what's happening with john, yeah, it was, it was john break corbett season. is the nicest sort of ex-husband in film history yeah you should want for an ex-husband like that yeah, ladies right? ladies go find john corbett and divorce him well, or at least get separated well, from the him. idea is apparently he was caught cheating with the secretary so like yeah uh like a jennifer lopez's best friend played by Kristen chenoweth is constantly shri- harpy shrilling oh yeah yeah we got Chenoweth. Oh my God, we totally did. But but let's just let's just start off, fellas. Jennifer Lopez can still get it. Oh, she's. I, I mean, <laughs> she's, come on, she's, she's still, fantastic looking. Uh, let's make no mistake. Like right. she is. It's weird even thinking of her as a milf. Right, a little still, bit. She could pass for a woman in her late twenties. She's still wearing that bustikaka. Well. Oh, oh, she looks phenomenal. Uh, and in fact, I can't even really criticize her acting in this movie. And normally, that's the first thing I'd harp on. I'm like. It's not that she's terrible. Nobody's really terrible in this movie. Maybe at the worst, the next door neighbor, uh, this uh, teenage, and by teenage, I mean probably 19. He's 27. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the next door neighbor. He's 90210 teenage. Uh, Noah, played by Ryan Guzman. Actually, I got to see how old this guy actually is now. See how old, He's 27. There we go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, 
who uh, is the orphan nephew of her wheelchair, uh, like her next friend was in a wheelchair. I got blanking on the name of the actor. He's a once classic actor. And just say Hal Holbrook. I can't remember. Yeah, he looks like Hal Holbrook. It's not Hal. Holbrook, <laughs> I know it's not, but just I was shorthanded. Say, the guy who you always mistake for Hal Holbrook is who it is. And uh, you know, he becomes friends with her, her with Claire's kid, and he seems like oh, he's the helpful, kind of really ridiculously good looking next door neighbor. And believe me, the camera is more in love with this guy than than Jennifer Lopez. Oh yeah, character, yeah. Who is like, you know, well, I mean, they, they looking at this guy like that dude in the Diet Coke. Commercial. I was going to say they, they had a Diet Coke break. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> um, but you know, Claire's like she's not even. She's like, oh yeah, he's good looking. Uh, but of course, I would never. But the thing is, is that Noah has his eyes on her, and before you know it, he catches her in a, a sensitive. Well, 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 I mean, we have to set it up. He did woo her. Oh, totally. Uh, well, uh, the thing that really stuck out was uh, he came over to her place, and he's giving her this book because they had talked about the Iliad beforehand. And so he brings her the Iliad because you know that an English teacher wants more copies of the Iliad. She just doesn't have enough. Sure. And so he gives it to her and she opens it up and says, well, this is this is a first edition. I can't take that unless it was written on papyrus. I don't think it was a first edition Iliad. <laughs> I know. I know. I was like, yeah, how could that be? Yeah, that's this is this is quite intriguing. I didn't know that Homer wrote in English. This is great. <laughs> There's it's one of many stupid points in this movie <laughs> that you have to just blah, turn your well, you know, you don't have to. You know you don't. You don't you don't owe this thing anything. But anyway, he ends up getting her at a low emotional point. Fucks the holy hell out of her in in a scene that is really poorly filmed. It re- yeah, well I did I did like the um if she's going to show boob, he's got to have hands just right off duct taped right onto the yeah. no nips. I mean, admittedly, as bad as the script is, if I was Ryan Guzman and saw that in the script, I would have taken this role too. Well, that's for money. That alone. Yeah, yeah, that and the money. Yeah, uh, maybe that. No, that's how he got paid. Yeah, you, you get, get to, you get to have your boob hands on, on J Lo's boobs. It's like, huh? Uh, uh, I'm going to get my agent to say, also get to squeeze her ass. Yeah, eight point five seconds on the boob grab and points on the end. We're terrible people, by the way. I just wanted to point that out. Right well, yeah, there. well, I am, but not for that. <laughs> oh, it's for all the bodies. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he starts getting too stocky. She tries to break it off. He gets really crazy stocky, and things go exactly where you think they well, go. Well, but he's not without his his uh, his uh, redeeming uh, points. Like he, I think for uh, at least twenty minutes of the movie, he really did want to be his his friend's stepdad. Well, the thing <laughs> is, is that like they build him up to be. And this is the problem with a lot of these films with this pretty much exact same plot. They build him up to be so stable, so smart, so secure in everything about himself that there is no way he's this fucked up. Right. That you just don't have both of the of the Right, things. because somebody who is as screwed up as he eventually becomes cannot possibly understand how to affectate that and, unless they are a stone-cold serial killer. Uh, I'm just... Uh, guys skip this completely there are good movies made like this the stepfather is a mm-hmm. good example it's probably one of the best examples more recently we have the guest which is just fucking phenomenal yeah. movie uh like the, with a similar type plot see those this is not even Shit, worth your watch time. the good son instead yeah even the good son <laughs> yeah seriously Oh man, what a waste of time! What a waste of money! And this is another example: Jason Blumhouse Productions, or, or just Blumhouse Productions. Uh, 
they went from a company I was excited to see whatever they were putting out to now dreading everything they put out. And this is just endemic of that. Yeah, and instead of being on the corner of happy and healthy, it was on the corner of sick and nasty. Yes, it was. And there's some, But there's a really great restaurant right on that corner, too, so don't <laughs> blow it off completely. I always like telling my GPS, sick and nasty, please. And it's like, oh, yeah. Bow, bow. Do. Anyway, next up is Masters of Sex, Season 2, speaking of sick and nasty. Well, maybe not sick or nasty. Uh, certainly sexy, though. Yeah, it's certainly to, a spectrum. As opposed to Boy Next Door, which just tries. That being said, the point of Masters of Sex is not to be sexy. Not, not It's not trying not to be sexy, but that's not the point specifically, to be a sex show. There is no end of sex and nudity in it, but... It's not Red Shoe Diaries we're talking about here. This is actually historical drama uh, with Michael Sheen playing Dr. William Masters and uh, Lizzie Kaplan. Oh, Lizzie Kaplan. So wonderful. I love her so much. Uh, I love Michael Sheen that much, so much, too. He's so great. But she plays Virginia Johnson. And this is the true story of Masters and Johnson, who performed a long and very serious sex study uh, and discovered all sorts of things about sexual dysfunction. Now, I saw the first season of this, and I reviewed it on the show, and I had kind of mixed results with it. I really liked all the performances of everyone on it. I really thought that it was a really great premise and great production value, but that it just spent too much time being a little too soapy. It wasn't really getting anywhere. I didn't feel like there was enough depth to the characters, and ultimately, at the end, I was like, I'll give this one more season, but I'm not sure it's something I would actively follow. Well, then what did you find? I found that after the second season, they pulled out all the stops and made this into a show I definitely want to follow. Okay, it so got, fuck faster. It got... No, no, no. <laughs> is that what you got from all that? that that's what well, I, I thought that's what you were leading up to. No, that is not what I was leading up to. No, they just got this show to where it became something that is... <sighs> I got really interested in what was happening in the historical story of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, what actually happened? How did they get where they wanted to go? For instance, um, at the end of the first season, we see where Michael Sheen has been fired from the hospital. We don't know what's going to happen to the study. Where is it going to go? I mean, this is like, nobody wants this, th this fucking thing to be literal. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, because it's very controversial at this period of time. Uh and he's being sh like literally going, getting a job, getting kicked off it, going a job, getting kicked off it, and eventually biting the bullet, borrowing a bunch of money to start his own office to basically try and do it on his own, which is hugely chancy, to to put it mildly. Um, and it's very, I mean, you're kind of edge of your seat for that, going like, how are they going to make? I have no idea how they're going to make this work at this period of time. At the same time, his wife who he is actively cheating on with with uh, Lizzie Kaplan because, under the name of science, mind you. Yeah. It's very scientific. Mm -hmm. <laughs> hey, fellas, that line still works, by the uh, way. She is becoming more and more estranged from him uh, because he's just never around uh, and ends up in this very weird, backwards way joining the civil rights movement uh, and, like, temping at this office for, like, civil rights and obviously having making eyes at the big attractive black guy running the office well i mean fair's fair yeah i, I mean <laughs> hell, i kind of was watching it you know i was like wait what's happening why no look at lizzie kaplan look at lizzie kaplan <laughs> <laughs> which you get to do a lot too so that's not so bad um yeah and there's a story where like uh um, michael sheen is also he's suffering sexual dysfunction himself and it's like He's like his excuse to Lizzie is like, no, we have to do this because it is science. Because yes, I can't get it up. 
So does he shoot his dick full of blood? What? That's the thing porn stars do. Is it really? Some of them. Ew. I didn't want to know that. Well, now you do. I, I, okay, so I'm going to tell you this now in revenge for you telling me that. Um, uh, I was listening to an interview with uh, Joe Lynch, who got his start as an editor on porn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 I remember that. What's the grossest shit you ever encountered? It's like watching like one where the guy had syphilis really bad, and when he came Spurred on the girl's blood. face, he squirted blood all over, and she didn't know because her eyes were closed and got in her mouth and everything. And so they were like, yeah, we can't run this. And the guy just went and color corrected it <laughs> and released it. I was like, oh, oh, oh. What a class. Is as classy does. We're talking about money, <laughs> but uh, no, this is this is a really good season of television. It gets it ramps up the excitement level. It ramps up like getting to know these characters so much better, and has one of the single best episodes of TV I've seen in quite some time. The third episode of the season called Fight, where uh, it's just it's pretty much just. Uh, 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 Masters and Johnson in a hotel room just talking and the whole time there's the big boxing match going on on the TV in the background is and they Ollie go from Frazier? talking about their own relationship no, no I don't remember who the fight is with mm, okay. but um, they go from you know talking about their own relationship to talking about the why what fighting means and honestly if you if you're one of those people who's ever thought I don't get boxing you got to watch this episode just so you get boxing cuz uh, like Michael Sheen does the best explanation ever of why watching boxing is fascinating like why they what the drama is how to analyze it as it's happening why people get excited by it that I've ever seen hmm, okay a really phenomenally well done episode I mean that alone that episode alone makes this whole season totally worth watching now at its worst it's one of those shows that kind of things develop a little slowly on it um and by the end of it, it's not like the biggest cliffhanger in the universe, the end of, end of this uh, season. But we've really gotten to know these characters by the end of the second season. You've gotten to see now, their vinegar strokes. And now I'm interested. Now okay. I want to see where this is going. So would you, would you suggest my not having seen the entire show? Should I watch it? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, I think you honestly, I think you could you could watch the uh, the start with the second season and just watch the recap and be like, okay, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the first season. It's just nowhere near as good as the second one. And it's one of those shows you're like, okay, to be fair, not that much happened in the first season. I mean, you can kind of get. But how much naked was Liz- Lizzie Kaplan? Uh, oh, she's naked constantly. Okay, then so yeah. I mean, season. everyone's naked constantly in this thing. I mean, seriously, it's like it's nonstop because it's about a show about people performing sex studies. So they're constantly filming, like they are filming on the show, people having sex. And they're not always attractive people. No, no. Sometimes they're really unattractive people having sex. Um, But anyway, highly recommend it. Can't say the same about the next one. I'm sorry. Another one you didn't get to see, The Barber. A lot of people did, in fact, like this little indie direct-to-DVD film starring Scott Glenn as a barber who may or may not have been a serial killer who got away with it. Oh, well. Uh, uh, set up that we've certainly seen things not entirely unlike this before as a young man shows up to tell him how great he thinks he is, insisting that I know you did it, I know you were the serial killer that the cops never managed to pin it on, uh, and I want you to teach me how to be a serial killer as well. Mm-hmm. But we find out very shortly into it that this guy, in fact, is not a, a, a wannabe serial killer, but is, in fact, the son of the cop who had dedicated his life and failed to catching Scott Glenn before, and now is a cop himself, and is is willing to do whatever it takes to get 
get in, including this creating this huge ruse to get in there and convince him to admit to him that he is, you know, basically put him in a situation where like, okay, now I have actual proof that he did it. And I think that's one of the failings of this film, because literally all he would have had to do is wear a wire once <laughs> and it would have been like, okay, game over. We got him. All right, we're done. And it was like, what is the proof you're looking for exactly here? Or are you just at this point having a good time? <laughs> I don't even know anymore. Uh, and it moves slowly. And Scott Glenn is wonderful in this. As he, I love Scott Glenn. I think he's terrific. But the uh, uh, the character of the the uh, um, the young guy. Uh, God, what is his name? Um, I don't see it. I'm sorry. But oh, Stephen Tobolowsky is in this for the record. Oh, good. The local lawman. But uh, John McCormick, which is played by Chris McCoy, who you might recognize from Deliver Us From Evil if you saw that. I heard that was a good horror movie. I didn't get to see I it. I didn't. Um, mm-hmm. But he's the guy. And I think he – it's not so much that he's a bad actor. It's just he cannot stand up to Scott Glenn. I mean – That's, that's fair enough. <laughs> one of those that if you're going to get this kind of movie, there has to be a balance. Right. Like, I mean, it's an actor's movie, and there's no sense of balance whatsoever. You're never rooting for this guy, because (laughs) Scott Glenn is just so Scott Glenn. Well, then that's going to lead to a problem. Yeah, I mean, he's got to live. He's going to fight Daredevil. (laughs) (laughs) He's got trained Daredevil, sorry. Uh, Anyway, yeah, I mean... The serial killer, it's a its a twist in the serial killer training a young serial killer thing, which has almost become a genre in and of itself uh, ever since Man Bites Dog. Right. Uh, but, uh, like, taking it to where, like, a twist that, like, you know, th- a couple different twists, none of which are terribly hard to see coming. It's well executed overall, but I think ultimately there just wasn't a lot of originality here enough for me to super recommend it. Our last film for today is The Gambler. Dude, this is such a good movie, dude. I love that movie. It's good. Well, the thing about The Gambler, you got to understand, it's a remake of an older film by James Caan. I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I think, I think that, that Maki Mak is totally like the, the best, most originalist ever. Ever. Well, the thing about uh, Mark Wahlberg is you want to really hate the guy sometimes. He'll do four movies in a row. You're like, seriously, fuck you. And then he'll do a movie. You're like, God damn it. You were really good in this. Luckily, this oh, isn't one of those. Really wah, wah, wah. I really liked him in this movie. Oh, see, I thought that he was just like some sort of uh, vortex for good talent to be around him. <laughs> well, he certainly manages that in a lot of his films. But I, I like Mark Wahlberg in a lot of different films. Not the bulk of his career by any stretch of the imagination. But like I said, he's one of those guys. Every once in a while, he just comes up. He does a film I like. See, And this is a film that I don't don't think it's a great film, but it's a really interesting well, film. Well, I see, I think that uh, the Maki Mox could have been played by anybody else that just wasn't going to make it bad, and it would have been the same movie. Maybe so. Uh, Wahlberg certainly is supposed to be playing this very straight the whole way through, very disinterested. I mean, that's kind of the point. Maybe that's why they got him, because he's supposed to be sort of the whole time distant. No, I don't. I don't believe that because really? the way that he's waxing on in class, like he's trying to tell him how it really is, just it shows that he's trying to be more than he can pull off. Well, like I, it just. It, see, I got from there that I, what I took away from this film is it's a it's an existentialist treatise. You know, I, and, yeah. you know, and th- this guy, Mark Wahlberg, plays Jim Bennett, who's a literature professor who largely teaches about books like Camus' The Stranger. I mean, like I said, they they 
constantly remind you about existentialism. Yeah, but that, but it's all very like day one, like well, like no. baby's day out kind of existentialism. <laughs> like it's there's 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 nothing baby's difficult about her. Baby's day out is here. definitely an existential existentialist. Okay, though. true. That's actually more existentialist than than the the stranger is. And don't get me wrong, I love Camus, but this. Yeah. That, that there's a reason why it's like a freshman reading book in high school. I can't believe they didn't use the Cure song. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, so he's a literature professor, but he's got the severe gambling problem um, that he he just doesn't seem to care. He owes like two hundred forty thousand dollars to this one Asian gangster. Uh, he owes fifty thousand. Ends up owing fifty thousand dollars to Michael K. Williams, a loan shark. He gets in with some other guys as well. Uh, meanwhile, there's this new student in his class, or a student in his class, played by Brie Larson, who I think is just the, one of the most adorable people. She's just, she's such a good actor. She can play such a huge range of roles, and no matter what she does, I just, I want to be her friend. Yeah, she was all right. Although I, I don't think this role is very interesting on her it's part. Not, it's not the strongest role she's ever played, to be sure. That's still, uh, God, what was that movie? It was even made in Austin um, about her working at a youth rehab center. Uh, blanking on the name of it. Shit, I need to say it now because so people can go watch it because it was so fucking good. Oh, yeah, she was in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. I forgot about that. Uh, Short Term 12. Such a great movie. Go see it. But anyway, um, so she's a student in his class who he, like, literally just, I mean, like, he would, any other teacher would get fired for this. He says, everyone else in the t- class, you never have a chance of being a decent writer at all, except for her. She's a genius. Fuck off all the rest of Yeah, it. she's the best ever. You guys leave. And then uh, they do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they almost all do. You're like, okay. All right. So there's, like, eight people left in his class. Uh and she also works at one of the gambling places he goes to. She's, she's the one student who knows that he's got this gambling She sees problem. both faces of that Janice. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, and it's this arc that he's going through that in the first two acts of this movie are just basically him getting deeper and deeper and deeper and largely trying to kill himself. Like, it's like death by cop, but death by lone Yeah, because he, he tries to, to, to pontificate about, like, well, I, I got, like, the, the, the heart of, like, a soldier or a warrior, and there's no wars to fight anymore, so so I, I just keep doing these things. Like, he's not saying it about himself, but he's just talking about how modern man and the dilemma of the blah, 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 blah. Well, we still have wars. We still have armies. You can go join that and get your head blown <laughs> off. Please do yeah, that. Yeah, the French Foreign Legion is always hiring, from what I hear. <laughs> the, the, the U.S. Foreign Legion is... I don't is, understand is, what they're saying. They keep talking this other language. Language. What was that? I what is this, dude? I can't understand. I don't want bread. Say la vie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the, and then the last third is like, fuck, I got myself in this position where these guys are actually, it didn't occur to me they're going to actually hurt people that mean something to me unless I fix this. So it becomes a, it becomes a, a con movie. With sort of. Coming up with a sort of elaborate con to get out of this scot-free. But the, the, the big thing that rang with me was all the loan sharks were decent fucking people. They just had a really nasty business about them. Well, Him, he was the one always trying to cheat people, so he's the bag of shit in this movie. Oh, I, I agree <laughs> with that completely. It's so it's it's. I think that's the point in some ways, is that these guys who just, they don't understand him. Well, you should want Lone Sharks so nice as they were. Michael K. Williams is like, you know, he's threatening him with everything you can think of, and he's like, go ahead, do whatever you gotta do. It's like, that's the thing, is like, what good does it do to... try and scare the guy with these things if he's not scared and doesn't care if well, you do them or not. Well, like, but their first go, their go-to their go is not like, hey, we're going to try to like mess this dude up. They're, there's like, we're going to have an, an actual exchange of information with each other and let you know what's on the line because we're actually decent people. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it's like we may be criminals, but we lay it out how it is. Uh, the best moment in this whole film is John Goodman. Oh, and by plays far, sort of like the top of all the top loan shark guys who has this amazing speech in the film where he talks about like you need to be in a position in life where you can just say fuck you, go anybody. fuck yourself. Yeah, go fuck yourself. That is, it's just such a great speech. It's Goodman being just at his best. Jessica Lang plays a Mark Wahlberg's mom in here, who is I think also really good, but under criminally under you. Well, and and they're they're also kind of playing the Jessica Lane character in American Horror Story. Yeah, that, that <laughs> level of sort of intense, like diva almost. Yeah. Um, but I I like this more than I didn't. I don't think it's a great movie. I think it's a good movie. I thought it was interesting. I think I enjoyed the level to which it was discussing like uh, existential having an existential crisis in this one particular guy's way of a very earnest Hemingway sort of way of dealing with it. Sort of like fuck it. I'm just gonna I'm gonna launch myself head on and I'm probably gonna die. But that's what a man would do. You know? <laughs> uh, I I liked that level of it. I like I said I. I, more than anything, it was these other performances. These other guys, like Michael K. Williams, also so good in his part. In the- oh no, he was fantastic. He was he was really good. Like uh, I, I think the the Korean loan shark was just kind of me. Well, yeah, they didn't do much with him. He no, was they more didn't. of a prop than anything else, unfortunately. Uh, I actually liked the score to this as well and the soundtrack music. I thought there were several moments. I was like, oh, that was pretty cool. I like the songs from this. But yeah, I mean, it's far from an essential film. I don't know. I I I kind of three quarters of the way recommended. I can tell you didn't like it that much. Oh no 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 no! I see. That's the thing. I loved all the characters. Uh, not the characters. The actors surrounding Marky Mark. I I think the the. Uh, <laughs> What? No, just dude, that's what he Marky is. Mark. The poor guy put out like what one album with the, the poor Mark? guy has incapacitated people for life. I think he can deal with being called Murky Mark. Did he? Yeah, there's one guy that that, that uh, this Asian guy that he kind of hate crimes back oh, in Boston. Yeah, yeah, back when he was young and not rich and famous yet. So you know what? I think he can. People yeah, he can live with Murky Mark. That, that's true. Fair enough. Um, no, the the yeah the the actors were great. Uh, I I wouldn't. It's not exactly heavy hitting philosophy. Um, no, no, I wouldn't say that. Uh, yeah, the act. I liked the actors. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to see the original version of this, which I've heard beyond the shadow of a doubt is the better film of the two, mm-hmm. uh, with James Caan in the lead role. Uh, there's actually a 14 minute extra feature on here that's a look specifically at that original film and how they decided to rework it for this one, as well as a bunch of other uh, nice little, uh, pretty extended little features uh, about it, and uh, about 10 minutes of deleted extended scenes. So they actually put together a nice package with the film. Well, that brings us to the end of the show, except for that one thing that we do. What is that thing we do? Um, uh, giveaway! 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 And our giveaway this week is the Blu-ray of a movie we talked about last week, which is Everly. Did you get a chance to see Everly? Mm-mm, I was, I was, I was outerly of the Everlys. Uh, hold on one second, and you can talk while I type. <laughs> You're not talking. Oh, hey, everybody. How's it going? <laughs> Everly is a Joe Lynch film that that I wasn't on the review for last week, but uh, the other guy, uh, uh, God, who was it? It was Brian and Johnny Neal. I oh, and it's got Shang Tsung. Uh uh, Salma Hayek in the lead character as a ex-prostitute, ex-girlfriend of a mob guy who's basically been told, okay, I'm coming to kill you by her, her boyfriend. So it all takes place in this one ap- really nice apartment where she kills 
tons of guys coming together. Yeah, how, how was I not supposed to watch this? This looks fantastic. It's so good. Oh my god, this is a super fun film. I had such a great time with this. I got to see this in the theater and just laughed and had a great time. It's Joe Lynch, who is one of those directors that, like, I, I don't love everything he's done, but I respect the hell out of everything that he does. Uh, the possible exception, I didn't really understand the, the, all the stuff between uh, behind Wrong Turn 2, Dead End. I mean, it was a good sequel to a <laughs> oh, just okay horror yeah. movie. It's <laughs> like, okay, but everybody's got to start somewhere, right? Uh, he's also been an actor in a ton of stuff as well, like Hatchet 2, he's well known for. Oh, Knights of Bad Astem. Yeah, have you heard his story about how that went down? So you listen to the same podcast. Yeah, I, I think did, we do. Where, where like, he was like, I get, they were like, I guess you can't talk about it. He's like, oh no, I can talk about it. <laughs> yeah, it's out, it's God gone. damn right I'll talk about it. Fuck those guys. <laughs> how they destroyed his movie. But so yeah, perhaps we can forgive some of his evils. Everly is the best film that he has made yet and I really recommend it we're giving away a Blu-ray to you guys of that this this week uh, what you have to do is you have to get on our Twitter at one of us net and you have to hashtag Everly giveaway and tell us uh, if you could let's see what's the best method for getting rid of assassins Oh, there you go. That's good. What's the best method of getting rid of assassins? Uh, give us that. We'll pick out the winner, and we will send you the Blu-ray. And as an assassin, I'm totally not going to take notes. So just don't worry about that. Yeah, you're an assassin. No, definitely not. Uh-uh. <laughs> you're, you're a third of that word. Anyway, um, <laughs> so we're one of the syllables in that word, Joe. Sis? Yes, sis. <laughs> I don't know. Joe... At his exchange, he used to be my sister. Uh, used to be Joan. It's 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 a it's a spectrum thing. Anyway, thank you for listening to Digital Noise. We'll be back again next week with Richard and Sam bringing you all the latest releases and with more fun giveaways. Although next week's giveaway is going to be, you're gonna I don't know how you're gonna feel about it. You're gonna probably get you're either gonna get angry or you're gonna laugh your ass off. Uh, anyway. Please join us then when uh, no release is too big, no release is too small. From Criterion to Catastrophe, we review them all. Bye!